The following message was recorded Sunday, January 21, 2024. Pastor Ritt continues his series in the book of Acts. This morning we cover Acts chapter 9 through verse 21. Last week we looked at all the sufferings Paul suffered for the gospel. This week we see how immediate Paul's change was after meeting Jesus Christ. And now, here's Pastor Ritt. And so then there's a need for you and I to go out there and be a witness. To be the salt and light that God has called us to be in this dark culture in which we live. To make a difference. And God will use us. It's amazing to me that God doesn't use angels to bring about the conversion of soul, but he uses us, doesn't he, to bear witness. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, the last thing he told his disciples is that you will be empowered from on high for the ministry I've called you to, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we've been seeing. And the book of Acts is not ended. It's continuing to this very day, the Acts of the Ecclesia, the called out assembly of God, bearing witness of Jesus Christ and that glorious gospel of his grace. Grace, grace, how amazing, isn't it? And so you need to pray about the empowerment that you should be receiving and asking for from God, the Holy Spirit, to embolden you to be his witness out there. Do not hesitate. Don't be intimidated. But share the truth. Because we're in a world that needs to hear truth now. Amen? Yeah. Now, we're looking at this absolutely incredible, amazing, miraculous conversion of who? Saul, who was more commonly called Paul afterwards. Saul was his Hebrew name, but Paul was his... Roman name, right? It was his Roman name. So turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 9. That's where we are this morning. And hopefully we're going to get through this historical account of the conversion of the Apostle Paul. What a miraculous, historic. You you can't overstate the impact that the conversion of this one man has had on the faith. He's my hero. Oh, Jesus, of course, first and foremost. But the Apostle Paul is the greatest Christian that's ever lived before since, I believe. And God purposed that this conversion of Paul's would be absolutely amazing. Everyone in that period of time were shocked to believe that this man, the chief persecutor, becomes the chief persecuted. The one, the one who was collaborating with the religious leadership both the legalists who were the Pharisees and a corrupt political party, which was the Sadducees, working together to destroy what God was bringing to birth in Messianic Judaism. And then make no mistake, that's what was birthed on Pentecost, Messianic Judaism. Although we say church, and that church is the Greek word, ekklesia, which simply means out of called out assembly of both Jews and Gentiles together. One new man, one body, right? Yes, and Paul saw all of the enemies of everything he believed and embraced being followers of Jesus. And now he does a 180. No longer his enemies, friends, more, more than friends. How do you consider one another, those of us who have walked together for a long period of time, known each other for, for decades? We're, we're not just friends, treasures in one another's lives. And so those who were formerly Paul's enemies, 
he sees now as precious treasures in his life, who he loves with all of his heart. Last week, we looked at all of the suffering. He said, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast of my infirmities and my sufferings for Christ. And he gives that list of sufferings that he had gone through. And then he says, but all of this, besides all of this, what really deeply concerns me is what? The plate of my brethren. How many, how many believers today are being persecuted worldwide? Do you have any idea? Consider the population of the United States. How many in the United States? 350 million plus. There's over 300 million Christians today, right now this morning, being persecuted in, in, throughout the world, globally. One in seven. Last year, what nation was persecuting? What, what, what nation was the persecution so alarming in its increase? More than any other, do you know? No, Nigeria is a close second. I'm sorry? Sudan, no? No, no, no. You'd think it'd be in the Middle East. You'd think it'd be in Sub-Sahara. No, you know where it is? Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Hmm. Communism, Marxism, cannot stand to allow Christianity to exist. Why? Because of the individual freedom it celebrates. That's why. Why do you think Christianity is being attacked now in our country? Why do you think the federal government is doing their search to see who's a mega, who's a Trump, but who's a supporter of Jesus Christ, a lover of God to the point to where they are pro-life, pro-marriage, one biological man, one biological woman, till death do them part. You become an enemy of the state. You become a domestic terrorist. Is that not amazing to you? Hmm. But listen, it should not put us in fear. There should be no timidity. No, 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 no. More than ever, we need to share the truth. And I hope many of you will come down on the 24th and we'll give our voice. You know, I would, you know, look around. We're one of the smallest congregations in Greenville. And why is it when we had the 40th week of standing against abortion? Were there more of congregants of this church than any other church down there at that time. Why? Fear, intimidation, not understanding the call that's upon our life. When the Apostle Paul was converted, his conversion was absolutely miraculous and he would never, ever, ever be the same man. All of his previous friends became his enemies. All of his previous enemies became his dearest friends. And everyone knew that this man's conversion was dramatic. The evidence was overwhelming that God had done something in this man's life. There's only three words to explain what's happened, right? It's the Lord. It's the Lord. We sang that this morning. For by grace, even before we were born, even before we were conceived, conceived even before we were in our mother's womb, God said he knew us. He called us, fashioned us. He wants to equip us. Who knows what God can do if just this room alone, if all of us decide today, we're going to surrender everything to Jesus, set us on fire, Lord, don't allow us to be distracted by the cares of this world, by the deceitfulness of riches, by the 
carousing in life. But Lord, let us live our life now, starting this very day for you and you alone. Wow. He'll set this entire city on fire for him. But why doesn't it happen? Was Paul afraid of anything he was going to lose? All that he lost, his wife, his children, his inheritance, his reputation, everything that this man held dear, he lost. And he said, I consider it as rubbish in comparison to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I give it all up. You really understand that? Oh, if we did, beloved, our lives would be radically changed. We would no longer have concern about so many things that concern us today that one day, in one day, will evaporate into absolute meaninglessness. You understand that? That's what I want to challenge you with this morning is we're going to look at the rest of the text. I'm going to get there, I promise. <laughs> but I want to challenge you to begin to consider how much of your life is exhausted, is spent on that which is really absolutely meaningless. And how much of your life is really spent, is really exhausted on that which is eternal, that which is spiritual, that which is heavenly, for which you will receive a reward forever. For many who lead, many to righteousness, will shine as the stars in the firmament forever. Look what people would give up for fame, to have their name in a star in Hollywood. It's unbelievable, isn't it? To sell their soul for that popularity. But God says in his word that if you're one who would lead many to righteousness for his sake, if you would live for Christ and die to self, he's going to give you a star in heaven. And that star will never have to be polished like the ones they have to polish in Hollywood. That star will shine forever and ever and ever in the firmament for an eternity. Wow. That's the Apostle Paul. That potentially could be every one of us here. What are you doing with the life he's given you? That's basically the question. We looked at Paul, and Paul was the chief persecutor. He was out hunting down the church. He saw letters from the high priest to go and hunt down these Christians who tried to escape messianic Jews is what they were. I, excuse me for using the word Christian because we throw it around too callously, carelessly without realizing what it really means. These believers in Jesus Christ as the Messiah of Israel, messianic Judaism, they had to escape from Israel because of the persecution from the religionists and they escaped to Damascus, but Paul's asking letters from Damascus to hunt them down. Like dogs. And he's on his mighty steed with this temple guards and army, and away he goes. How did he enter the city? Blind, like a little child being led by the hand. Not all mighty, not all powerful, not all full of himself. Isn't that amazing? And those letters that he had from the high priest meant nothing now. No, what means more than anything else is the letters that he penned to the church that he loved. Thirteen epistles. I believe fourteen. I believe he wrote Hebrews. 
but no less than 13 epistles penned by this man who sought letters to destroy the church. And now, and now he distributes these letters that we read to this very day. They're impacting our lives to bring life to the church. Amazing, isn't it? And those who were his collaborators, those who were his companions there in Jerusalem, now, now hunted him down, hated him, turned on him. Listen, don't make any mistake about it. If you want to be a friend of the world, you won't be a friend of the Lord. But to be a friend of the Lord, you're going to be an enemy of this world. Do you understand that? Get over it. So they don't appreciate you. So they don't care. It doesn't matter. If the Lord be for you, the world be against you. You win. You win. The Apostle Paul, amazingly, apprehended on that Damascus road when he saw that light that shone from heaven sh brighter than the noonday sun. And who do we say that light was? Jesus, of course, is the same light that was in Genesis 1, John 1, John 8. I am the light of the world. He who comes to me shall never be in darkness, but have the light of life, the promise of eternal life. And Paul immediately, what did he say? Who are you, Lord? Now, that, that's the first question you have to answer. Who's Jesus? Who is Jesus? Paul previously thought he was a heretic, the leader of this Nazarene heresy that sprung up within Judaism that he needed to stamp out. Now he discovers who Jesus really is. He doesn't know it's Jesus yet, but he says, Lord, kurios. What does that mean? Supreme, number one in heaven and on earth. He recognized immediately that who's before me now is God. God supreme. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, Paul. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. How in what way was he persecuting Jesus? We're persecuting his body. We become one with the Lord. If you're a believer and if you're dwelt with the Spirit of God, then you're one with Jesus, one with the Father, one with the Holy Spirit, and we're one with another, aren't we? Yeah. And if you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me, whether good or bad. Now, did Paul argue with him? Did Paul try to justify himself? Paul debate? What's the next words out of Paul's mouth? Uncle, I surrender. What would you have me to do, Lord? I'm yours. Listen, now that, listen, when conversion takes place, that's what happens. First of all, you recognize Jesus for who he truly is. And then there's no question, there's no debate. You surrender your life. Lord, Lord, what do you have me to do? Not giving God the list of the things that you want to do or you want to accomplish or you want to have, but it's basically, Lord, what do you have for me? Lord, what do you want me to do? How many of you are living your own life other than the life that God has for you? Now, I'm not trying to convict anybody. I'm trying to touch your heart. I don't want to step on your toes. I want to touch your heart this morning. Because the church needs to be awakened. Interestingly, Gail said to me yesterday, or was it this morning? I don't remember. But And what impact has the church really had on the world, in politics, in, in, in business, in, in the culture? What, what impact have we really had in this world? What impact have we really had, beloved, in this country, in this culture? We're still killing babies. And now we've got our children so confused. We're telling boys they're girls, girls they're boys. We're mutilating their bodies. We're drugging them. 
Where's the influence? Where's the impact? Where's the light? Where's the salt? Hmm. Hey, may it start here this morning with me and you. Is that possible? Paul's life will never, would never, ever, ever be the same after his encounter with Jesus. As yours? Or did you just go back to the same old, same old? Has the enemy convinced you to uh, accommodate your life to the trends of this world? To, to compromise with those who are kind of deluded. You know, all week they call themselves Christian, but they're not living that hard. A compromise with the devil. Paul would have none of that, would he? There in Philippi, when the daughter of divination was trying to promote them, Satan trying to promote Paul and Silas. Listen to these men. They're from the Most High God. And Paul said, way to go. What did he do? Commanded the demons to leave her. She sat in her right mind. No, no, no. There would be no compromise. There'd be no accommodation. There'd be no tolerance. Oh, but today, my goodness. I have to continually ask myself, Lord, in what way is the enemy trying to wear me down, trying to water me down? Try to convince me to compromise in any way, Lord. Please help me, Lord. And where do we need to be most careful? What goes into our ear gate? What goes into our eye gate? Because it enters the mind and affects the heart. Doesn't it? Paul, for the rest of his life, said, I live for truth. Does truth mean something to you? It means nothing in our culture today, do we? When are we ever told the truth any longer? Disease X is coming, 20 times more powerful, more deadly than COVID. Did you hear about this? Now, what's all of this about? We just need to reduce the surplus population. You know, does that put you in fear? Don't ever let yourself be motivated by fear, but be motivated by love. We're just passing through, Glenn. This is not my home, that is. I'm a citizen of heaven, not a citizen here. I'm a sojourner. I'm not a vagabond. What's a vagabond? Got no home. He's, aim he's homeless, aimless, purposeless. No, I'm a pilgrim. Sojourner, I'm just passing through. I got a home and I'm going home. Do you know you're going home? Are you absolutely assured of that home that awaits you? If you are, then your life here will change. It'll be different. You'll display to everyone you're a foreigner and alien in this place. Paul became a foreigner and an alien to his very home. And they abandoned him. Is that true of you? Mm. What would you have me to do? Go in the city, Paul, and wait, and you'll be told what to do. And he was told. He was told that he would be a witness of Jesus to the Gentiles, to kings, to the people of Israel. And so he was. But he also told him what? The many things he must suffer. Is that why you're timid? Is that why you're shirking back? Is that why you're not really becoming... All that God wants you to be in this because you're afraid of the things you must suffer? Get over it. In any of the suffering that we would have to go through for his name, he will be glorious. And in that suffering, he will reveal his person and his strength more than ever before. In my weakness, his strength is made perfect, perfect. perfect. 
So Paul did just as he was commanded. And a particular disciple of the Lord's, what was his name? Ananias. And Ananias, we learned last week, was a devout man. He embraced the truth that can be found in the Old Testament with regard to the God of Israel and the promises with regarding the Messiah, the King, the Mashiach Nagid. And so he embraced all of that. And then when he came to realize that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those things, he followed Jesus with his whole heart. And now Jesus is telling him, I, I, I want you to go to Islamabad. And there's a terrorist enclave there. And there's a terrorist there that I want you to speak to. Can you imagine such a thing? That's basically what, it, what he was asking him to do. No, 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 Lord, you, 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 I've heard of this man, and now he's asked letters from the high priest to come here to persecute your own here. We said in, in what, 77 AD or 76 AD, 20,000 Messianic Jews were killed for their faith in Jesus as a Messiah there in Damascus in that city later on. But the Lord says to Ananias, no, 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 he is a chosen vessel of mine. Did God choose Paul or Paul chose God? Is the evidence overwhelming? Is there any way in which you could support the opposite? That it was Paul who chose God? No, absolutely not. Impossible. This conversion by grace alone, the predetermined counsel, election, predestination of God that this man became a believer working for the other side. Hmm. And so Ananias comes into the house. Verse 17, Ananias went his way, entered the house, laid hands upon him and said, Brother Saul. Well, that must have comforted his heart huh? to call him brother, kin. And the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, he sent me, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and he was baptized. That's the other thing that takes place. Now, previously we're told that Jesus told Ananias, he's in the city and the street called Straight, and he's praying. The conversion takes place, you know. You opened your eyes to see Jesus for who he truly is. He is God, come in the flesh, die for our sins. And then the next thing you do is you'll surrender. You submit to him, Lord, whatever you have me to do. And then you'll become a man or woman of? You're the only one who knows that? Oh, that's why the prayer night on Sunday nights is so small. Because the majority of you are not men and women of prayer. You offended? Too bad. There's nothing more powerful than when the church gathers together for prayer. Do you understand that? That's why it's so difficult to get the church to gather for prayer. We can get together for a potluck. Next week we'll have a potluck. The church will provide everything. How many people will show? People I haven't seen in years will show. <laughs> All right, we're going to have an exciting Bible study this Wednesday night in Ezekiel 38 and 39, and I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen in the very near future over in Israel, geopolitically. Come on out. Oh, you'll have a good crowd. Hey, we're going to get on our knees and our faces before God and pray tonight at 6 o'clock. Will you be here? I'll be here. There'll be at least two of us, won't there? Okay, that's all that's necessary. Where two or more are gathered. You don't understand, nor have you experienced, nor do you realize, because you don't do it, how powerful it is when the church gathers together to pray. That's why we don't do it. Do you understand? 
Now, I know some of you have reasons for not being here, but most of you do not. And then what is a small gathering? But is that not common among most churches? If they have a prayer night, what happens? It's the least attended service of the church. And why? Because you don't believe in the power of prayer. You haven't experienced the power of prayer. Paul knew what prayer would do. Now, I don't know what other prayers he was praying before all of this took place, but, but I think they were preparatory for what had happened to him. And now he's really praying. He wouldn't eat, he wouldn't drink for three days and three nights, blinded but abandoned to the Lord in prayer, in communion. Wow. Did you ever pray long enough to where you really start to pray? That's what it takes, you know. Because we not, know not what or how, Romans 8 tells us. But you need to begin to pray long enough where you really start to pray. Now, what do I mean by that? Who makes intercession for you in prayer? The Holy Spirit. So all of a sudden, you abandon your prerequisites. You abandon your wish list. You abandon your expectations. And now, after a period of time of just communing with the Lord, the Holy Spirit starts to take over, and he prays his prayers through you. That's prayer. And will always, always be other-centered. Because that's Jesus, how he lived his life. All of his prayers were others-centered. Not centered on himself. If you're centering on yourself in your prayer life, it's all about you. And you're not praying. You're begging. You're imploring. You're beseeching. But you're not praying. But when you pray in the Spirit, you're praying the prayers that Jesus wants to pray through you as you become an intercessor as the Holy Spirit is interceding through you. Do you understand that? And your prayers will always be for others. You may be going through a horrible circumstance, but you don't even recognize it. You don't even realize it because your compassion, your concern is for everyone else. Just as Paul declared, I'll boast in my infirmities, but what bothers me most of all, what concerns me most in my prayer life is what? My concern for my brothers and sisters, that, that they would let God be everything he wants them to be in this world, this lost and dying world. Yes, he's praying. And then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight at once, and he rose, and he was baptized. That's the other thing that will happen. Yes, you'll receive Jesus for who he really is, right? Yes, you'll, you'll just surrender. Lord, whatever you want from me. You want me to go where? Greenville, South Carolina. Lord, I don't even speak Christianese. Lord, and I don't eat grits. Oatmeal, Lord. Hmm. And they don't even know what Italian food is down there, Lord. I didn't know why I was coming here, but he just told me I needed to come here. I can remember very clearly the day I resigned from my position in New York. My manager gave me a tremendous offer to stay. Much more money, a better position. And I said, I, I can't. I can't. I can't serve Baal. I need to serve God. And then he looked at me like I had three eyes. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, well, I, I, you, he wasn't a saved man. I said, you know, you won't understand. But I have to go. My family didn't understand. My wife didn't understand. My boss surely didn't understand. I didn't understand. I just knew I had to come. And I'm amazed what he did. I thought I was going to go to school at Bob Jones and bask in the sunshine of being in the buckle of the Bible Belt and all of this wonderful spiritual truth. And I found out they're a mile wide and a millimeter deep. How big's a millimeter, Mark? 
Not much, is it? No, no. Is that a hundredth of an inch or a, tenth, a thousandth of an inch? 25 more. It's really thin. Would you say? It's not an inch. It's a millimeter. Like a hundredth or a thousandth of an inch or a meter or whatever it is. A meter, a meter, yeah. Yeah, that's how much I know. Okay. Yeah. Mile wide, millimeter deep, to my shock and amazement. Very religious community. Very religious. Not very spiritual. All you had to do was, was peel back that first layer and just, ooh, it stinketh, right? The prejudice, the carelessness. Oh, they know the Bible. This is Baptist country. I remember talking to a co-worker before I moved here. I said, oh, are some of the good churches down here? He said, there ain't but one good church here, buddy, and that's First Baptist. <laughs> okay. And I got here, oh, Baptists, they believe the Bible, don't they? They stand on the word of God, don't they? You know what I tell them? Get off it and read it. Because you're so ignorant of the Bible, you say you believe. It's amazing, isn't it? Hmm? What about you? How's God challenged you? How did God take you out of your comfort zone? How did God ask a cost from you? And were you willing to give it to him? Or are you still saying no? We prayed for that family last week. Where did they go? Belize, Belize. He was living in. Arizona, outside of Nevada, or uh, in Nevada, outside of, uh, I forget the city he was in. Uh, he had a landscaping business, several people working for him, doing very well, and God told him to go to Belize to support a little church down there in Belize. Sold everything, and away they went. And he said to me, honestly, I, I don't know what God's going to I don't know what's going to happen. God never tells us ahead of time, does he? He tells you one step at a time. And he just asks, will you take that one step? Will you trust me? Ananias, when he trusted the Lord, and wow, look what happened. What happened to Paul? He laid hands upon Paul, and what happened? He received the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked about the Holy Spirit last week, right? The Holy Spirit comes alongside you, the parakaletos. Kaletos is called alongside, called alongside, called alongside the believer, because he alone, the Holy Spirit alone, can open up your mind, your heart, your eyes, your ears to understand who Jesus really is. And once he accomplishes his will in regard to opening your eyes to the person of Jesus Christ, then you surrender. And then he comes to dwell in, E-N, in you, right? That indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. But you can't stay there alone, can you? Just, just as the peace of God comes in three forms, right? Peace with God, peace, peace in God. Now, most people get the first two, they never get to the third. The same thing is true of the Spirit's work in the believer. You have the para, you have the en, and what about the epi, the filling? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to stand up and give testimony. But, but how many of you really understand that you have been empowered? That's what that filling is. It's an empowering for ministry. He told his disciples, after he had breathed on them in John 20, and they received the Holy Spirit, that was the end, because he was with them for three years, wasn't he? Getting them to see who he really was during his earthly ministry. And then they could see who he really was. And he said, now receive ye the Holy Spirit. And he breathed upon them. Do you think it was just garlic breath? Or do you think something happened? Yeah. The pneuma, hagiosune. Right? The Holy Spirit of God came to dwell within him. Ruach HaGodesh in the Old Testament. Came to dwell within them now. And they received the Holy Spirit. Now what did he tell them after that? Come on, Bible scholars. What did he tell them after that? 
go into Jerusalem and tarry until you're endued with power from on high. They received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but they didn't receive the power of the Holy Spirit for the work of the ministry he called them to. This is precisely what's happening to Paul. I think that that para experience happened when Paul was consenting to the death of Stephen previously, that Hellenist, the Grecian Jew, and and Stephen gave the longest discourse on on the history of Israel and the person of the Messiah that's recorded in the Bible, in the New Testament. And I think that impacted Paul, where the Holy Spirit was using all of that to come alongside to begin to open his life up to Jesus. And then on that road to Damascus, that's when Jesus really came into his life. And now, now, with Ananias' obedience and laying hands upon Paul and praying for him, was it Ananias' work? No, it was God's work. He received the empowerment to be the great apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, who would suffer more than you and I could possibly imagine, yet used in such a powerful way by God to accomplish his will in his life. He said, as far as the world was concerned, I'm the off-scouring. What did he mean by that? Do you know what he meant by that? Now, he's going to have to be led out of the city in a basket. They're going to lower him down in the middle of the night. Oh, the great apostle Paul, so revered. Hmm? So applauded. No. Off-scouring of the world. Lowered down in a basket down the wall. Running for his life. What does that mean, off-scouring? You know what a privy pot is? Yeah. You know, on a cold night like tonight, when they didn't have indoor plumbing, you didn't want to go outside to do your business. The outhouse was ice cold. So you did your business in what's called a privy pot. The off-scouring is the scum, the crust that develops in the pot. You are but dust. Not B-U-T, B-U-T-T, but dust. (laughs) Do you realize that? Hmm? And he becomes everything in our life. Oh, Paul. Amazing. Now fill me, Lord, and I will be a fool for you, Lord. Fill me, Lord, and I will be so hated by the world, but loved by your body. That's what we, listen, that that conversion, that transformation, has that happened in your life, and to what degree? You need to ask yourself that question. Why? Because time's running out, beloved. I don't expect to finish the year. Not because I'm going to get sick and die. I'm not waiting for the undertaker. I'm looking forward to the uptaker. Aren't you? Now, now, I'm, I'm just telling you, I've been 43 years I've been walking with the Lord, and I don't think I'm going to finish the year. I think we're that close. Take a whiff in the air. You smell his fragrance? Do you feel his breath on the back of your neck? He's coming. Very, very soon. Now, you want to be found worthy by him when he comes. You don't want his coming to be as a thief in the night where you're totally off guard, totally unexpected, caught up with the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the carousing that so many people are involved in. What are those things that 
you exhaust your life on that will evaporate into absolute meaninglessness the next moment after the rapture or after death. Personal testimony. I'm sitting at my desk. I had just, I was working here in General Electric at the plant here on Grove on Garlington Road and uh, was managing the spare parts operation for gas turbine, just uh, refurbished my office and my Rolodex. And my son came in one day and he's going through my Rolodex and he said, Dad, why is there a restaurant under every letter? I said, because I've become a professional lunch and dinner eater. I, I entertain customers, you know, and that's what I do. <laughs> you know, but, but, but I was just sitting there one day thinking about how absolutely meaningless it will all become. And I went to my boss and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resign, but I'm going to write up how you can eliminate my job. You know, it's a dangerous thing to do, isn't it? Tell your boss you're going to give him a write-up and show him how he can eliminate the job and get rid of that headcount. And wow, you look like a hero. Let me do that for you. And then a month later, I was gone. And then where were we? In an auto parts store on East North Street. And I had this little closet for an office. And I thought for the first six months, I thought I made the biggest mistake of my life. <laughs> but he told me to do it. I said, you really messed up this time, big guy. <laughs> oh, no, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. So thankful for what he's done in my life through it all. Through it all. And he's continuing to do. You know, if I had my way, about 17 years ago, maybe a little bit more, I would have relocated to North Carolina. Now, those of you who know me know why. The person I so admire and love so much in this life, that's where he lives. And I'd like to spend some time with him, but it's just not part of his plan. But we both agree we're going to spend forever together. So even though we're separated now, and, and I really would like to be a part of what God is doing in his life and his ministry, and uh, it's just not meant to be. I need to surrender to what God has for me here. But my flesh, I want to tell you, my heart would rather be there. But that's not how we live our life, is it, beloved? Thy will be done, not mine, Lord. Back to the text quickly. Then immediately, being filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered for his ministry, doing a complete 180, immediately, verse 20, he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Hmm. This Christological title, Son of God, what does it mean? It's only used once in the whole book of Acts, but Paul uses it 15 times in the other epistles, in Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, in Galatians, in Thessalonians, Son of God. What is this Christological title? What does it mean? What? Yeah, what does it mean? He is God. He is God. He is God. It means deity, that he is God. He's not just a Christ, Christos. Christos is the Greek word interpreted from the Hebrew what? Messiah, Messiah. Mashiach, the Mashiach, the Messiah. 
So Christ is a Messiah. When you read Christ, don't think of Christ. Think Messiah of Israel, okay? We've lost an understanding of the Israelology of our faith. We lost the understanding of the Jewishness of our faith. You understand? And the Israelology of the scriptures. You need to regain that. Why? Because anti-Semitism is just exploding, isn't it? Isn't it? Even in our own country, yesterday with the fellows, we had quite a conversation with regard to what, what is taking place in our world when Paul writes in the letter to the Ephesians that the church has made manifest to the world, but not just to the world, the glorious gospel globally, but to principalities and powers, dominions and mights. What is that? Demons. That the church now is making manifest, or the ecclesia, the called out assembly, Jews and Gentiles, making manifest to demons the wisdom, the glory, the majesty, and the power of our God. How and in what way, fellas? Do you remember? Okay, there's only one or two of you there yesterday, and I don't remember who you were. <laughs> How and what way? He said, This is a mystery, a mysterion. What was it? Jews and Gentiles coming together as one. Wow. Hidden in the Old Testament, but it was there, but now revealed in Christ Jesus and Paul sharing that message with everyone. Why would there be such suspicion? Why would the Jews be so cautious in their relationship with Gentiles? Why would they try to stay as far removed from them as they can? Persecution. Persecution. Anybody ever watch that movie, Joseph? Joseph of Egypt? You know, we're reading through the New Testament and reading through the Bible again in a year, and we're in the life of Joseph, and I love the account of the life of Joseph. Do you? And there's a movie that was produced in uh, 95 or so about the life of Joseph. It's fabulous. And the many things he suffered to save his family, his brethren, all by design. Wow. And when did the persecution begin of the Jews? Egypt, when they left Egypt. And then it continued when? The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Geeks, Greeks, the Romans, the Germans, the Europeans, the Americans, the Muslims. It continues to this very day. Wow. Explain that to me, would you? We're going to divert. I'm, I'm sorry. It's important. Explain to me why. Why? Why this division? Why this hatred of the Jews by Gentiles that is historic since the time of Egypt? Why? What you said. That's right. Every one of you said. They're God's people. They're God's children. And God purposed. God purposed that through Jacob and his sons, he would manifest to the world his grace, his saving power, his moral and ethical purity through the law, but then the way in which they can be saved from their sins through the Messiah of Israel. Wow. And who hates that more than anybody else? Satan. Satan. And Satan's number one tactic, listen to me now, listen to me, number one tactic, what is it? Divide. Divide and conquer. Divide and children against their parents, a husband against his wife, etc., etc., etc. And that's Satan's tactic, and he's using it to this day, but the greatest division that he tries to bring in the world is the division between the Jews and the Gentiles. Why? 
Because through the Jewish people, not because they're special, not because they're great in number, for just the opposite, he's going to use them to bring salvation to the world. And the enemy planted it in Hitler's head, in the Nazis' head, that the final solution, if there's a solution, there's a problem. What was the problem? Guilt and shame. Where did guilt and shame come from? The moral law. The moral law, the word of God, the Jews were the people of the book. How do you say it down here? Book, right? Book. The book, the blood, and the blessed hope. Hmm? That came to us by the Jews. And so you eliminate the messenger, you eliminate the message. And he's doing that to this very day. Look at the confusion that exists in our country that, that began so wonderfully with our forefathers, foremothers, worshiping, worshiping, desiring to have a place where they could worship God free from a state-mandated church, worship God in truth and in spirit. And what a glorious beginning we had. We are not finishing too well at all, are we? Oh, no. And Satan continues to be so successful in dividing the people of God, the Jews and the Gentile believers from the rest of the world. Look at the division that exists now in our own, our own nation among those who truly love and embrace the truth that the word of God affords. Pro-life, pro-marriage. Only one way. How many ways to salvation? How many ways to heaven? Only one way. The exclusivity of Christ, the world hates it, don't they? And look at the division that the enemy has been so successful in creating in our own country, in our own culture now. But with the Jew, oh, it's historic. Why? It all began with the sons of Jacob, the tribe of Judah, the Messiah, the promised one. And to this very day, he has enmity, hatred for them. He thought he won. When he, when he was successful in dividing the Gentiles from the Jews and causing that Jewish persecution, Satan thought he won. But now the church gets the opportunity to manifest to Satan, to the demons, the angels, and to everyone else the reconciling power of God in that now we become one new body. Did Israel get grafted into us? Did we get grafted into Israel? Yeah. Israel is a root. Israel is the trunk. Israel is the tree. And we got grafted into the tree. But now we're one. We're one new man. That's what he created. No more division. And this oneness that we're to display is to display to the angelic community, to every demon in hell, and to every man and woman, the unity that only Christ can bring. Now, where does it really need to start today? Do I, now, I need to be concerned about my separation from Jewish people. Where do I need to be concerned that Satan's going to try to bring division in my life more than any other place? Right there. Right there. And how successful has he been? What's the divorce rate in the church? The church christened dumb, not the body of Christ. 54%. 54. You young girls back there, you're going to get married? You got a 46% chance of it working out. You better listen to your papa. I'm telling you, you better listen to papa because God will give him wisdom. And if he says he's not the man for you, he's not the man for you. Otherwise, you're going to buy yourself a world of hurt. You understand? Ali, are you listening? you got to find a woman who loves Jesus more than she'll ever love you, and she'll be everything you need her to be. Among those couples that worship together, that read the Word of God together, that pray together regularly, the divorce rate is less than 1%. Wow. Want to improve your odds? 
become a man or woman of prayer. Prayer works. There's so much that you and I have in common. And there's so much that her and I do not have in common. You know, Glenn, we could probably spend weeks together and never have an argument. When I leave the church and get in the car, I can be assured. Before I get to the house, I'll need the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Beloved, beloved, I love you. And we have this wonderful privilege of surrendering to God and showing the reconciling power that only God can bring. Listen, when, when Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the text quickly. Look at the text. I promise you, I'll get, try to get through some of this. Immediately he preached the Christ, the Messiah, in the synagogues that he was the Son of God, God himself. God in the flesh. Jesus said in 824, uh, John, John chapter 8, verse 24, he said, if you do not believe, tetragrammaton, what is it? Tetragrammaton is the four-letter Hebrew word for God. What is it? I am. Yahweh, but, but, but more specifically, it's translated, I, if you do not believe I am, you will die in your sin. Now, listen, I don't have, listen, I don't have fellowship with Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or anyone else who denies the deity of Jesus Christ. They cannot be saved. There's only but one way. Right? And that's what Paul was making clear here. Then all who heard were what? What's that word amazed? Do you know? And what does it mean? Out of their mind. They said, no way. This man can't possibly be saved. He's an enemy of the church. Do you know how long it took before the brothers in Jerusalem would accept him? 14 years. Next week, I'll show you that. We don't have time right now. <laughs> I was planning to go there, but you know, this is not my service. Whose service is this? It's God's. So we let the Holy Spirit take it wherever he wants to take it, right? Now, we try to get through the text, but sometimes he has things he wants to say that I haven't prepared to say. But he wants you to hear it, and he wants me to hear it. And if I'm really going to manifest the reconciling power of Jesus Christ in my life, it begins right here. Right here. Why? Because listen to me, beloved. If you're not married, you don't know what I'm talking about. If you are, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That this is the most difficult arena of life to be Christ in. Because we're so different. But God wants to manifest his reconciling power. Not just to bring Jews and Gentiles together. Now listen, let's go beyond this. What about all of this? How many, how many times did the enemy sit on your shoulder and start to whisper? That fat little Italian, you know, that pastor, right. He thinks he knows everything. You know? That wizard up there, you know. <laughs> Am I right or wrong? Now, now what we, we, listen, we have this wonderful opportunity to display to the world and to demons and to angels the unifying power of Jesus Christ in this body. We are so different from one another. Most of you probably can't even cook like an Italian. Yeah. <laughs> but if you can, invite me because I can eat like an Italian. <laughs> Is that not true? Cut to the chase. 
would our world and our friends and our family and our neighbors and our community need to see is the power of Jesus Christ in love in forgiveness and compassion and sympathy and understanding? It's so easy for us to flesh out and produce those works of the flesh, isn't it? But it takes the person of Jesus Christ, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to display the fruit of the Spirit. And especially when the enemy is pushing our buttons. Is that not true? Yeah. This new year, I pray more than ever before that we become such a loving family, this body of Christ here in this little meadow, that we would fulfill all those one another commands that Jesus gives in loving one another, understanding one another, having compassion for one another. Now, now, in order, listen, in order for me to get married, I got to get a divorce, right? In order for me to be properly married to this woman, I need to get a divorce from who? Myself. Myself. In order for me to truly be wed to Christ, I got to get a divorce from? Now, that's where it begins. Everything here determines what happens here, right? Now, in order for me to be everything that you need me to be, Christ wants me to be, that he needs you to be, whatever all of us need you to be, it takes a divorce. Get a divorce from your own self-interests, your own selfish desires, your own expectations, your own wants, and just say, Lord, here I am in your body. Use me as you will, Lord. Show me what you will for me now, Lord, being a part of this body. You see, all of every single cell of my body works on the benefit of the rest of the body, doesn't it? Every single cell. It's amazing. When one cell begins to start to live for itself, it devours the other cells of the body. Medically, what do we call that? Cancer. 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 Yeah. And when that tumor develops, all of the nutrients and all of the energy and all of the strength and fortification that should come to the whole rest of the body is consumed by those selfish cells. And the whole rest of the body begins to die. what's happening today. That's why the Christendom, the church, is not representing the body of Christ. All these individual cells consuming one another for their own self-existence, their own pleasure, their own self-satisfaction, their own desires and needs. Oh, and that tumor will become monstrous, won't it? It's growth, exponential, unbelievable. But what does it produce? Death. 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 We purpose this morning, no longer to live for ourselves, but to him who died for us. That's the exchange life policy. He said, I'll die for you, and now in exchange, all I'm asking you to do is live for me. Paul said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. What about you? Hmm? David, as you come forward to sing the last song, before he does, we want to pray. We're going to pray tonight at 6 o'clock, and I hope many of you come out. But we're going to pray right now. For those of you who, who know you have received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but you've never had the empowering of the Spirit to fulfill the ministry that God has for you. This is a ministry. And oh boy, do I need his power in this ministry. Is that not true? Easy for her. No. Easy for me. Hard for her. Why? Because of me. What is the ministry that God has for you? And have you asked him to empower you? 
Has he made it clear to you, Paul, you're going to be a witness of mine? To kings, to the children of Israel, and to the Gentiles. But first, I'm going to empower you. If you've never been empowered, everybody, would you please just close your eyes and bow your head? I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward. And if you're a believer and you're saved, you know it. But you've never really been empowered. Just raise your hand so we can pray for you. Raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord Jesus, I pray. I pray for myself and for those who have raised their hands. Come on, some of you need to raise your hand and you're just a little timid. Nobody's looking. Raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we know that it is your desire to empower us to obey all that you have for us. Lord, there's not a command that you give that you're not willing to empower us to obey. But Lord, are we willing? Are we surrendered? Are we yielded? We know who you are, Jesus. Now, what would you have us to do? And we pray, Lord, that you fulfill all your purposes and your plans in our life through the person and the power of your Holy Spirit. Now come upon us, Lord. Empower us for the ministry that you have for each of us. Our marriages, our parenting, our families, whatever it may be, Lord, we want to be your witnesses. We want to show that salt and that light to the world, that love that only you alone can bring into our hearts and lives, Lord. Show your reconciling power to demons, to angels, and to the world around us. We ask this in Jesus' holy and precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.